Welcome back to What the Truck. I got myself doubled in my ear. Frazier, if you can kill that, thanks. I'm going to pull this out. Can you get the double arm? All right, hey, welcome back to the show. Little gremlins in the system as we get back from the 4th of July. Can you kill that, please? As we get back from the 4th of July over here. Um, we had a great time. I, I had a, Let me just pull this out. I had a very great 4th of July. Um, Frazier, let me know on the screen over here when my earpiece is fixed. So I don't have to check Slack. Thank you. I had a great, very, I had a great freight Fourth of July. I went over to Charles Gracie's house. He invited me out here. He's been out in Chattanooga for about a year now, and he did his second annual massive firework display. Take a look at some of this ordinance we got here. Yeah, he, we were gonna blow all those things up. He, he's got the. Uh, they're working on the ear. Thank you guys. They're wor- he was, he's got the remote detonator or anything. You don't got to worry about blowing your hand off. But we weren't able to say that all night. I had the kids with me. But over in my area, so you can't, like, you can't rely on the city of Chattanooga. They were only going to do a laser light show. Laser light show? It's like Marxist. That's Marxist. That's no good. My earpiece is ready. We are back in business. Show this one. I went over to my local golf course over here. Got to see these fireworks. Took the kids out. They were blowing up right over our heads. Nobody got set on fire. And it was absolutely fantastic. But you know his performance might have been even better? The great Joey Chestnut. Joey Chestnut it almost got canceled. I don't know if you guys saw him out there yesterday at the Nathan Hot Dog Eating Contest. A big thunderstorm over in Coney Island. Almost didn't happen, but Joey Chestnut said, I'm going to get the rest of these guys out here, and we're going to do this effort. So, good on you, Joey Chestnut. He had 62 dogs. He was projected to have 72. Hit a little bit underneath. But here's the tale of the tape. 18,814 calories, took him 10 minutes, 1,129 grams of fat, 1,487 grams of carbs, and 675 grams of protein. Wow, Joey. little cowbell for you. You are the hot dog goat. Anyways, on today's show, I'm talking about contract negotiations between UPS and the Teamsters. When we last left you, they had a week to get there. The Teamsters said they wanted their last, best, and final offer. Um, Some concessions had been made about a week, 10 days ago, about 55 concessions. A few more concessions were made over the weekend. It looked like we were on a good trajectory. Well, this morning, they all collapsed. Rachel Premack will tell us all about that, plus a number of other things. Andrew Salazar, Patriot Freight Group, is going to stop by talking about Cat Conestoga's heavy haul over dimensional freight. We got Super Trucker. He's going to talk about truckers versus RVs, yellow bailouts, falsifying logs, trucking accidents, driverless delivery vehicles, flying cars, and in-flight premonitions. But right now, we got to tip the band. This episode of What the Truck is sponsored by Last Mile Delivery Leader Freight. When you need the best Last Mile Delivery vehicles, look to Freight. Sign up and get your first three deliveries free up to $300. Go to Freight.com. That's F-R-A-Y-T.com and use the code FIRST3FREE. All right, it's Rachel Premack, Editorial Director over at Freightways. Rachel, what is up? How was your fourth? Hey, it was, it was good. I didn't really do too much. Um, I was traveling all last week, so I just kind of wanted to relax at home. The um, folks across the street from me at the apartment complex across the street from me, every year they buy probably tens of thousands of dollars of illegal fireworks and set them out for probably three hours until the cops come around 1230 or so and finally say, okay, 
this is enough. So I got a free fireworks show as well. Um, no one lost their hand as far as I could tell, but it was, it's always very, it's always very interesting to watch from, from the safety of my apartment. Yeah. Well, when I was a kid in Staten Island, we would go to my uh, nephews and my, my uncle's house and people that they were like, shoot, they were like have bottle rocket wars. Was, I was always amazed. Like none of the roofs set on fire, but fortunately it never came down to that. It was always close though. Yeah. Yeah. There is a bunch of like debris on this in our, in our street now. Um, so anyways, but I don't know. It's great. I'm glad that the community can come together for this kind of dangerous fireworks celebration. Our like windows shake. It's it's just, it's, it's really it's something. It's really something every year. Well, I'm glad you had a, a boring and safe Fourth of July, and it's always better when it's someone else's fireworks blowing up than your own. But so big yeah. story on Freightways. Our lead story on Freightways.com right now is by Mark Solomon, and it's about um, UPS that refused to give Teamsters a last, best, and final offer. They're moving away from the table. Teamsters General President Sean M. O'Brien, he says the multi-billion dollar corporation has plenty to give American workers. They just don't want to. UPS had a choice to make, and they have clearly chosen to go down the wrong road. UPS says that the Teamsters have stopped negotiating despite UPS' historic offer that builds on their industry-leading pay. They have uh, less than a month left to negotiate, and they have not walked away from the table Rachel, what's going on here? Yeah, so at 4 a.m. this morning, talks broke down between Teamsters and UPS. Teamsters says UPS walked away from the table. UPS says Teamsters walked away walked away from the table. Not clear right now who what really happened, um, but uh, as you were discussing earlier, there had but there were some really good. Um, there was quite a bit of progress uh, in terms of this contract over the weekend one of the biggest things is that ups said okay we're getting rid of these um 22.4s which are these sort of like junior driver roles um so it seemed like things were heading heading in a positive direction as you had mentioned uh but this morning it seems that talks have come to a standstill yet again some of the concessions they made amongst what you said is they agreed to establish Martin Luther King Day as a paid holiday, so they're getting a little bit more time off. Um, air conditioners in new package cars purchased after January 24th. Pretty amazing to think all this time they've been driving around with no air conditioning in those uh, big brown vehicles, and now they can't be forced yeah. to work. They can't be forced to work more than 60 hours over a 70-hour work week, though they can volunteer to do so. Um, they also get notified in advance for supervisor wants to ride along with the driver. So what are they what are they fighting for here? What is the big holdout? It's unclear what is still being fought over. I imagine it's probably around health care benefits or pensions. That's some of the reporting that um, I've seen today is around those specific issues. Um, but it it makes sense in some way for why Teamsters is really pushing hard on UPS because they made tons and tons of money during COVID. I mean, if you're looking at, for example, it's uh, negotiations with Yellow. Yellow has not been quite as financially successful as UPS over the past three years. So Teamsters has kind of identified UPS as uh, a company with deep pockets that can actually negotiate and uh, offer some of these uh, industry-leading type of, type of uh, working conditions. So I think that's part of the reason why we're seeing uh, Teamsters really push uh, UPS in particular during this during this contract negotiation season. Yeah, I, I see Sean's name come up uh, a few times in the yellow story and in this one. He's fighting two battles, two big battles that are going on that 
could have bad resolutions by the end of the month, but just how bad? Impact Carrier Journal, they say the last time UPS Teamsters walked off the job was in 1997. That was creating the 19th largest strike in American history. That 15-day strike was by 185,000 workers. And again, this was 1997 workers. I think they're up to, what, 400,000 now maybe? Um, I think 65,000. 340,000. And about 65,000 of those are drivers, right? Or delivery drivers? Yeah, yeah. So we're looking at a potential strike of 340,000 UPS drivers, package handlers, and other employees. Their contract expires July 31st, so they could go on strike as soon as August 1st if there's no new contract reached by um, the end of the month. Saber rattling, or is that the plan? Like, do you you think they're really going to park the trucks? Well, Teamsters has overwhelmingly voted to authorize a strike by August 1st or July 31st, whichever date. It, it, the strike would happen on August 1st, but I, I believe it would go into go into effect on July 31st at 11.59 p.m. Anyways, the, the point is that by August 1st, uh, if there is no new contract, Teamsters is authorized, or uh, Teamsters workers have authorized for these employees to go on a strike. We're talking about about 24 million packages a day worldwide, more than 3% of global gross domestic product, and 6% of our U.S. GDP daily. This would be quite devastating. Who would pick up the slack here, Rachel? Definitely FedEx. FedEx, um, as you've reported on the show and as FreightWaves has reported, is uh, really looking for new volume. Uh, We've got from Satish Shindel, he shared that UPS handles 20 million packages a day. FedEx handles 12 million packages a day. Um, uh, Satish Nadal also noted that FedEx has the capacity for three to four million packages extra per day without much effort on their part. So if FedEx can take up some of that volume, that would definitely be um, a boon for FedEx, which has been struggling a bit over these past few years. A strike risk analyst from Deutsche Bank indicates that Teamster strike fund of $346 million sounds like a pretty big war chest, but they say it will be completely depleted within three w- weeks of a strike starting. You think this is just an August thing if they yeah. do strike? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it does seem that Sean O'Brien, the Teamster's president, is really focused on UPS for kind of those reasons we've been just talking about because... They are such a massive contract. They do have so many um, employees. And on top of that, uh, it looks like Sean O'Brien's trying to send a message to other potential Teamsters contracts, especially Amazon, and say, look, um, if you join our union, if you be part of this, we can really fight for you and uh, promise you uh, and, and get you some of those concessions and um work and pay benefits that you might be looking for. So it's definitely kind of O'Brien's opportunity to show to potential new Teamsters employees or new Teamsters uh, members and say, come join our union. We will fight for you. And that, that seems to be uh, why he's particularly pushing so hard with UPS. Prediction time. Come August 1st. All right. Whose trucks are moving? Yellow? UPS? Neither? Both. It's really hard to say right now. I think 
on the on the yellow side, if there is a bankruptcy, it it does seem to be becoming more likely, according to you know some of the analysts that I've spoken to. On the other hand, a lot of shippers, uh, according to again, according to industry insiders and analysts I've spoken to, they're preparing for the potential of having to move their volume elsewhere, but they're not you know particularly focused on it right now. So yellow, that seems kind of up in the air. UPS also seems somewhat up in the air. I think they have been having a lot of, you know, positive developments with these contract uh, discussions, especially looking at the air conditioning and the uh, the two tier worker system. Those were certainly some of the biggest uh, issues that that the Teamsters were pushing forward on. So I could see I could see UPS miss, uh, not having a strike, and I could also see Yellow not headed towards bankruptcy, but. It's it's you never know. We'll we'll have to see. Well, it's it's all a tough environment. The uh, trucking spot market's been rate limited for over a year now. I'm sure you're feeling the uh, impacts of rate limiting on Twitter right now without your your blue check mark, Rachel. I got to ask you though, what's going on with financing? Exactly. I, so I was when I was at Future Supply Chain, right? I was talking to someone in the factoring space there, and they seemed really concerned. And they said, "Hey, um, a lot of our carriers are coming up to us, and they say." We need to be covered for 120 and 180 day terms because that's where shippers are pushing us towards. And lo and behold, I read Adam Josephson's article about what's going on with supply chain financing. And it's kind of talking about that, how people are, how shippers are looking to extend that time out and, and pace. What's going on there, Rachel? Yeah, so um, earlier this year, uh, it's now required uh, to that all shippers or all companies rather who use this type of financing tool called supply chain financing, they're now required to disclose their usage. And what supply chain financing is, is basically a way for companies to push off when exactly they pay their supplier. So let's say you're, let's say you're Walmart and you get a shipment of razors from whatever Schwick, whatever razor company, um, through supply chain financing, you can pay Schwick six months from now um, and pay perhaps a bit of a premium versus uh, tomorrow and pay you know slightly less than what you would pay if you wait six months from now. So it is essentially factoring. Um, and before you could do this all day long and no one would know, but now it's uh, required to be disclosed um, in your 10Ks and 10Qs and all that. Um this could dis- discourage companies from using supply chain financing. On the other hand, it's not really something that I imagine I, I wrote about this earlier this year, and it's not something that most analysts are going to be punishing companies for using supply chain financing. But if they do have an overdependence on it, it could be a red flag um, for other sort of issues within that company. Interesting. The carrier end on that, the one, the one, the factoring one they were talking about to me was, was scary. That's, 120, 180 terms, that's really, really long. And when you talk about yeah. the payment that the carriers need, they, they, I think they get hit with a percentage to get paid early on that. So it's just it's like the consumer, more and more yeah. people just getting dragged into credit. I mean, the money is, is available, but now it's on credit terms. You're getting hit at a certain percentage. Getting tougher and tougher to operate. Now let's talk, to, let's talk about people. We are the ones who put freight on trucks by buying stuff. What's going on with grocery inflation? Every time I go to Publix, it seems like the, the prices are up, despite what people are saying. So, yeah, inflation, there's still grocery inflation, but the rate is slowing. Yeah. Um, 
And it appears that uh, the consumer packaged good companies that have been pushing this inflation for the past few years, they're kind of getting the sense that they've gone too far, perhaps, and they're going to halt some of this inflation. That doesn't mean necessarily that things will get cheaper, but it does mean that um, they might be offering more promotions. Um, and that's that's basically the story right now. On the other hand, uh, even though as we as any viewer of the show knows, the cost of transportation has greatly declined over the last year, that we are still seeing shortages in a lot of key commodities that companies need to produce food that we love to eat, um, notably is like sugar and cocoa. Those are some, some key, uh, some key commodity shortages we're still seeing, even though of course the price of transportation has, uh, considerably declined over the past year. So how do grocery prices work? It sounds like they have some control over it by what you're saying. So is this like inflation or is it Excuseflation? Or is that, are, are they forcing these on the consumer? It's a bit of both. So, uh, so grocery stores, uh, they actually are a much lower margin business compared to CPG companies that uh, produce and manufacture this food. Um, so they only have so much say over how much the, the, the sticker price of the food because they still need to make some sort of profit on, on this food sold. So one sort of way around this is that more and more grocery stores are offering private label options. So these are, you, we, we all know, we all know the, the store brand cereal versus the actual like Cheerios or Cocoa Puffs or what have you. Um, these sort of private label foods have become more and more common and more uh, preferred uh, by consumers over the past year. And it's just one way to kind of fight back a little bit on inflation. But uh, at the end of the day, food is food is probably not going to become, especially, you know, those like grocery staples and, and those sorts of things you find more in like the middle of the grocery store. Uh, there's only so much price gain or you know it's only going to decrease in price by so much because typically when a company sets their cereal or whatever at a certain price they're not going to lower it they're just going to maybe not make it more expensive or they're going to offer more promotions so that you buy more and maybe pay a little less for per unit for what you're paying now, this isn't Joey Chestnut's personal record, but this is the tale of the tape on what he ate yesterday. Can you show this graphic right here? Now, yours doesn't have to be like a single food item. I'm wondering if you were to take the nutrition label on the biggest meal you've ever eaten, what, what would you guesstimate that would be? What did you eat? Let me think. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think. I was in a in a hot wings eating contest in college. Were you really? Uh, my junior year. Wow. Yeah, I got in fourth place, and I was the only woman competing. Um, it might How many be that, but honestly, eat? I didn't eat. Honestly, not that many, so it probably wasn't that. But I'm just thinking, um, you know, based off of Joey Chestnut's thing, I'm gonna say probably like fifteen hundred to two thousand calories. That seems like probably the most that I could like expect to eat in a single sitting. I think. Does that seem right? I mean, what about a full rack of ribs? What would you say is the calorie? I don't. This doesn't. See, food comes from your heart. This, you're being too. I think you're being a little too analytical. You're like trying to, trying to. Do you remember when you ate you're something really me big? All right, I'll, I'll, I'll go. We'll go with the wing eating contest. That sounds like kind of badass. Okay. 
All right, winging and kind. Okay. Rachel, go, everyone, we'll, go check we'll out, that. go check out modes. Go subscribe to her newsletter. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Take it easy. All right, everybody. Meanwhile, take a look at this mom here, Mad Max. When people said she looked like the dropship pilot in Aliens. Now this car came right in front of her. It almost looks like she gave it a pit maneuver, but I think it's just the angle they came in on her. She's keeping her in composure the entire time with her baby back there. She has time to pick her nose. She barely even notices that she was smacked. And there, look, she's like, yeah, guess I gotta take the seatbelt off now. I don't know. Andrew Salazar, COO, Patriot Freight Group. You ever been in an accident like that? You ever take the minivan uh, Mad Max style? <laughs> uh, no, it's it's been a while since my last accident, fortunately. <laughs> well, for, yeah, fortunate for you. What did you do last night for the fourth? Did you have fireworks over your way? Oh man, we uh, we had uh, neighborhoods all all around us were popping fireworks. Whether you know three or four neighborhoods, so it, it was it was awesome, really awesome to see. Where are you guys based out of? For those who don't know, we're in uh, we're in Houston, Texas. Oh, no trouble finding fireworks over there. No, in, uh, in the county where I live specifically, in Fort Bend County, um, it's, it's legal. So you'll see a fireworks stand uh, pretty much on every corner. <laughs> How much do you drop on fireworks like annually? Um, man, I'm, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure. <laughs> this year, I didn't drop any. I didn't drop any this year. We, we just did the tour around the neighborhood and um, we, we, uh, mooched off other people's fireworks. <laughs> you know, I was, there was a thread yesterday on, on Twitter. Someone put up their dad runs Alamo fireworks out in Texas, it's a big chain out there. And it's, it, uh, it, it, as it would seem, it's super seasonal. So he said like 90, 90% of the sales come in the weeks leading up to the 4th of July. And it's almost like, I was like, why don't you just team up with Spirit Halloween, right? And then you could have Halloween, you could have the other holidays. And I guess in Texas, it's illegal to, like if you sell fireworks, you can only sell fireworks at your store. You can't uh, just throw in like some scream masks or something Halloween time. Yeah, that, that's right. Um, you'll see, I mean, now it's, it's 40 foot containers, you know, that are, fireworks stands all over the place so yeah that, that's that's right now do you get so you move explosives in your vans do you move fireworks are you in the uh the firework hauling business at all we have moved uh fireworks yeah like you said it's a it's a seasonal commodity but uh we actually haul uh class class 1.1 d explosives what, what is so that? So class 1.1D, typically in this commodity, we refer to it as a perforating gun. It's used for fracking in, uh, for, in the oil field for completions. Um, what they do is they, they manufacture this uh, piece of metal and they um, stuff it effectively with uh, a charge, a, de a detonator cord, and a detonator. And what that does is they string that along a wireline truck which effectively goes down hole and it uh, blows up and fractures the ground. And um, we've partnered with a client of ours to um, haul 100% of that uh, out of Houston, Texas, throughout the entire country, whether that's, um, that's West Texas, Colorado, Wyoming, North Dakota, uh, even all the way up to Canada. Interesting. So a, a device like this, like what do you, how big are they? What are you shipping it in? What do you have to be mindful of? So these are usually um, these are usually shipped pallets um, on pallets. Uh, the length of them are usually about 
24 to 36 inches in length and about 50 of these um, guns are are usually stacked on a pallet and then a full truckload usually consists of uh, anywhere between 15 and 20 pallets. So we're shipping total weight is about 44,000 pounds uh, on average. And then the explosive weight, we're going to be at um, roughly four to 500 pounds. Interesting. You can't just use any carrier to haul explosives, can you? And it probably wouldn't be advised. What, what makes a good explosive carrier? No, no it's definitely uh, the, the standards for hauling specifically class 1.1, 1.2, and 1.3 um, major differences compared to your standard commodities where, you're, where most carriers are carrying a million general liability, um, you know, $100,000 cargo. Uh, in this case, uh, $5 million insurance minimum general liability, which is roughly five to six times more expensive than standard uh, just commercial insurance. Um, the cargo insurance goes up. I think we're at a minimum of two hundred dollars to $250,000 of cargo. Um, you have to be FEMSA registered. But the kicker is you have to hold a hazmat safety permit. And um, that is not an easy task to obtain. And it's definitely a process. And there's um, our we have invested on our carrier side to be a you know, to have our hazmat safety permit. So our carrier is able to, you know, haul these explosives at that, uh, you know, as, as quickly as the client needs them. Um, but when it, when it comes to that, the process is, I, it's a, the, and and the additional training that's involved, it's just a, it's a very long process. Um, it's a very detailed process. Um, and we've gone through a full DOT audit, um, where you're submitting, you know, documentation and, you know, you've got the, the DOT officer that you're visiting with on a, on a weekly basis, you know, to, to ensure that, you know, these are, these are being hauled safely and, and in accordance with the law. Fascinating. Fascinating. You know, speaking of fascination, something I've always wanted to work with and just have never had the pleasure of the opportunity are, are Conestogas. How do Conestogas work? When are we using Conestogas? Tell me a little bit about Conestogas. Remember the Oregon Trail? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Comes from the Conestoga wagon. <laughs> in the late, you know, 17th or 18th, 19th century or whatever. And uh, definitely here over the last three or four centuries, uh, the Conestogas have uh, really in, improved uh, on, on what you can do. Um, you know, the, the Conestogas, they, they combine the use of a flatbed with a similar protection from the elements as like a dry van. So it does have some similarities like compared to a curtain van. Conestogas are, are fully retractable and they're typically side loaded or unloaded and they're strapped like a flatbed and then they're covered similar to a dry van. So this usually works for commodities that are uh, dimensionally kind of odd um, where, you know, if you're shipping on a flatbed, you know, and you have to tarp it, sometimes these dimensionally odd commodities can really cause a lot of more time when tarping the material. Um, you know, we've, we ship material that kind of sometimes has maybe some sharp edges 
that could potentially damage a tarp. So, you know, to improve uh, cargo securement and loadout time, you know, typically, typically Conestogas are the way to go. Um, we've seen we've seen dramatic improvements from uh, our an hours of service standpoint, being able to use a Conestoga. So, for example, you know, we'll do a flatbed with tarp, you know, and, and you know, that could take two to three hours if the material's ready. Well, in a Conestoga, we can we can cut down our loadout time to if as long as the material's ready, we can cut it down to an hour. Easy. Interesting. So what you're really cutting off is that tarp time. Because you, you still got to strap it and everything, but you're really cutting down on that tarp. Are these tarps like, because you mentioned sharp stuff, they got to tear a lot, right? Are these meant to be replaced all the time? How do the, how do the tarpings work? The tarp, yeah. So um, tarping is, you know, obviously something that dimensionally you can't really put in a van. It has to be side loaded, but it has to be protected from the elements. Um, also, typically when you do tarp, um, on especially on a flatbed, you can hold a little bit more weight. So whereas a Conestoga, you're, you're maxed out 44,000 pounds on the commodity, whereas, you know, on a flatbed, you're 47, 48,000 pounds. Well, a tarp compared to a Conestoga, you can, um, you could just fit a little bit more weight on a flatbed and then tarp the load compared to a Conestoga where you got the full retractable system that, you know, where that kind of limits you on what you're doing. Um, really with the Conestoga, where, where we've seen the advantages is just the oddly, the oddly sh- dimensions that the odd dimensions that typically go on a flatbed um, that you just save a lot of time um, with a Conestoga. You got to train a, a driver for a Conestoga different than a flatbed guy. Absolutely. Yeah. On our, on our recent Conestoga, we probably did. I mean, it was, uh, throughout a couple, a couple of days, but it was an easy six to eight hours worth of training. Just going through the, you know, this is, you got to roll this side up first. You got to un, you got to unhook this side and it's got to retract, you know, then you can retract it. And it actually Conestoga, it can retract both ways. So it, it can retract from the back all the way to the front or the front all the way, you know, to almost three quarters of the back. So you're still effectively being able to, um, uh, load all your deck space or uh, get get full you know, deck space capacity, if you will. Interesting. So you guys do hot shots as well. What am I using a hot shot load? Where do those fit in in what you guys do? Oh man, I love that you asked that question. <laughs> so um, you know, uh, to be frank, you know, urgent deliveries. Uh, there's a there's a misconception in our industry when using the term hot shot. Our industry tends to define it as a small truck, like, for example, a one ton pickup truck with a 40 foot gooseneck, you know, or whatever. That's like that's the stereotype in my head. Yeah. Like weekend warrior guy with, uh, you know, his F-150 out there trying to pull some cans. Right. Right. In actuality, the the term is defined as urgent deliveries with a small amount of material. So, you know, for example, when you would need a hot shot, you know, we'll take a oil field delivery, which is very common down here in, in, in Texas and, and in the South. Um, you know, there's, let's say, let's say you're on a rig and the, uh, a motor goes out on the rig. 
and that and that rig is down. Now, keep in mind, you know, a drilling rig operates 24 hours a day, 24 seven, 365, right? And if if a motor goes down that shuts down the entire rig, you are effectively costing this rig site, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a day just because a motor went out on this on this pump and this motor could be 50 horsepower motor and it only weighs 2000 pounds but it's got to go it's got to go so i mean it can go on the back of a pickup truck it can go on a 40 foot gooseneck it could go in a sprinter van you know whatever whatever you need whatever the capacity is at that time to make it to that rig site so that you are mitigating their their time lost because the cost of that truck or that load going to a rig site it far outweighs the cost of what it's going to um you know what, what you're costing the job site when you're rigged down so i mean it's 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 hot it's load and go steel pipe is similar um you know someone you know they may have a piece of pipe that it is not working down hole. It's a bad piece of pipe, whatever that is, drill pipe casing. And um, it's got to go. And it's 31 feet. Well, nine times out of 10, that's going to go on, you know, probably a 32 foot gooseneck, 40 foot gooseneck. I mean, it's got to go. It's not what you're, you're typically seeing in the industry of, oh yeah, you know, F, a guy with his F-350 dually and a 40 foot gooseneck. And then, you know, he's trying to go find some loads off the load board and they're paying a dollar. Well, he's also pulling his RV (laughs) and his boat. Right. And then he's, he's got a, he's got a triple going on with your containers as the third thing on the train. No, you know, you described that really well. Yeah. So guys at the truck stuff, stop, stop, you know, giving the side eye to the, the hotshot guys, right. They're just moving some pipe that you wouldn't have moved anyway. Speaking of moving pipe and equipment, we have a few pictures here. Some of your freight. Tell me about this first one that we're looking at. Oh man, so that's our uh, that's our class 1.1D uh, explosives that uh, we were discussing earlier. So this is actually a recent delivery that we did. We shipped it out on uh, the third, and we actually delivered it yesterday. So it no was roads, a, uh, right? Are there any roads where those things are going? What do you mean? It doesn't look like there's a road. It looks like you're selling like the, out these frack fields. Are there like proper roads? Oh yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, this is this is go- this is delivery straight to the well site. I got gotcha. you. So this is out in um, we'll call it uh, the middle of nowhere, Colorado, <laughs> where you're going off a lease road. And um, you know, to mention with these class 1.1D also is that because of the lack of safe havens out there, um, ninety. 99% of these loads are being hauled with team drivers. So it's it's effectively load and go. They, these guys can't stop. Someone has to be awake with the material at all times. So it's it's really interesting stuff. Really, really interesting. What else we got here? Let's see the next picture. What are we looking at? Ah, yes. This is where Conestogas come into play. <laughs> this is what I was saying earlier about the odd odd dimensions. So if you look at uh, right in the middle there, those uh, looks like uh, an erector set. (laughs) Um, These are actually going to military bases. Um, But so if we were to put a tarp on this, which is possible, there would have to be additional coverage all over the edges of this aluminum. 
because effectively what's going to happen is if the if the edges are not protected you are going to tear a driver's tarp mm. and so effectively you know this comes on this is really account- accountability of the shipper on you know protecting edges and there's some accountability with the driver but what we're trying to mitigate here and 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 tarping something like this so these loads in particular when we tarp them um with loadout they they take about four to six hours um but when we haul them like this in conestogas you're looking at a couple hours max wow big savings cut the time in half yeah, and then you're not having to pay three or four hundred bucks to repair a tarp. <laughs> no, you know, you might be putting my buddy Giuseppe out of business, though. He likes to do the tarps. Let's take a look at one more before uh, before we move on. What, what's this one right here? It's a similar. It's a, actually it's a, it's the same project. So these uh, these this material is going to, as I mentioned, going to um, military bases. Yeah, and again, um, you know we're not just hauling one load when it comes to this stuff. So just kind of reflecting back on, you know, what I mentioned earlier, these, these loads go in a minimum of a two to four truck project all at the same time. Well, you know, if we were tarping these loads, Mm. we'd be there for, I mean, we, we, we can't load out all in one day. It's just, it's not possible for the shipper. It's there, there's, you know, instead of, the driver just doing the standard strapping and covering it with the Conestoga. Now, all of a sudden, this shipper has to get involved with helping with tarping because, I mean, it, just one person doing this is is very challenging. It's almost impossible. Um, and there's and there's been you've got three to four guys that are helping, you know, tarp this load um, just so they can attempt to get it out in a timely manner. But that's just the that's just the biggest advantage when it comes to Conestogas. You you know, you, you really play to the the shippers' requirements of getting the freight there as fast as as fast as it can, or within the within you know their expectation and you know hours of service. Because you know, with the implementation of ELDs, you know, or of you know, in the past few years, it is uh you know every every minute counts. No, and when you put it at, at scale, when you have more than one truck, it's sort of like, yeah, drivers wait around forever. What's two hours? Well, what's two times 10 or what's two times eight trucks? Suddenly it becomes a much bigger issue. So that makes um, that makes total sense. By the way, before I let you go, one thing here. Happy ninth birthday to Patriot Freight Group, to you, Andrew, and your entire you. team there. Yo, you want to make a statement to your team, a happy birthday statement? Yes. Yeah. No, I'm, I uh, actually, I sent an email out yesterday to our team and, you know, just kind of reaching out to everybody. Just, you know, we can't do what we do without, without our, our employees, without our, our carrier relationships, without our business partners, you know, all past and present, you know, we've, we've encountered many challenges throughout the years and, um, uh, you know, uh, probably two or three, uh, you know, not very good oil and gas markets, pandemic, you know, freight recessions. I mean, I, I feel like we've we've experienced it all in, in this first nine years. But, man, we just we're just working hard. You know, one of our one of our core values that we really touch on and we really we 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 just are really focused on right now, especially with this current market is grit. You know, we're it's kind of like a take it back to basics. Let's get, you know, I, I feel like some days, you know, I got to get back or we got to get back in, in startup mode, 
you know, when we were starting this business, it was, you know, it was boots on the ground. Who, who can we talk to? Who are you talking to? How can I talk to this guy? How can we get our brand out there? You know, we, we, we were bootstrapped. So, you know, we didn't have big marketing budgets. You know, we were every day was unknown. And, and I, I think, especially in this market, kind of having that startup mentality, I, I think is what really, um, drives success because you're always pushing yourself to be better. Well, um, hey, here's to a nine more years for you and the team. Awesome stuff. Now, I, I asked Rachel this earlier. She said her, she got her score up in a hut wing eating contest. This is how many calories Joey Chestnut ate. Now, yours doesn't have to be one singular thing, but think back to your biggest meal you've ever had. How many calories do you think you put down, and what was it? <laughs> um, it's probably going to be uh, – Probably Mexican food with a bunch of margaritas, man. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll get you up there too. You start putting those margaritas, man. I think, I think the average margarita, I don't know, they've gotten better over the years, but I think the average margarita is like a thousand calories. So if you're drinking, you know, five or six of those. <laughs> <laughs> then you got to wash your sodium with the lip of those things, right? If you get the, the, the cup with the salt on there. That's Landry. right. Andrew, thank you so much for stopping by. Andrew Salazar, Patriot Freight Group. Go check them out. Thank you so much, sir. Thanks, Dooner. Talk to you later. Take care. All right, time to tip the band again. This episode of What the Truck is sponsored by Last Mile Delivery Leader Freight. When you need the best last mile delivery drivers and vehicles, look to Freight. Sign up and get your first three deliveries free, up to $300. Go to Freight.com. That's F-R-A-Y-T.com. And use that promo code FIRST3FREE. All right, elsewhere. This is just serene. There's so many demented things on this show. Let's just look at some cranes go into uh, the port of Tacoma. Where we shock and awe you with other things. I love a good gantry crane. You guys do port tours? I was almost going to go to the port of Cleveland. I didn't end up getting over there. I told Super Trucker to go for me instead and document it. We'll find out if he did because he's here right now. Super Trucker, what is up, sir? Hey, hey. Justin Martin. You like a nice port tour? You go to the port of Philly ever? I used to work out of there. Yeah. No plans of ever going back. You didn't you <laughs> once, didn't get I didn't get to Cle- I didn't get to the Cleveland Port Tour, did you? I saw it from my hotel window. No. 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 It would that it was exhausting. Hey, how was the fourth with with your kids? So like my boys, everyone saw them on here. I took them over to Charles Gracie's house during the day, but we got there a little bit early. We got there at like 3.30, so by like 6.30, everyone was kind of tapping out, and he's about a half hour away from me. We had to get back to the dogs and everything, so next time I'm going to go to his place later, but he had a, he had a ton of ordinance, and remember I was complaining to you about the Marxist uh, leaders of Chattanooga for doing a, a laser light show. Fortunately, the community steps up, and like a golf course by us is able to afford a better laser, a, a better fireworks show than, for some reason, the city of Chattanooga. Awesome. No, we uh, we tried to watch the local fireworks show here, but he made it about my my three year old made it about two minutes into the show, and he was like, "No, nope, I want to go home." It was late. Yeah. It was way past his bedtime. He tried. You know, we we uh, had the TV on full blast and let him try on his earmuffs, so he knew like what the fireworks were going to sound like. But just late. It was still you know ten thirty, but ten about ten o'clock at night by the time past they uh, really went off. All right, show him the chestnut thing. What is your big? I'm your. I hope you impress us. What's your biggest meal been? Oh, geez. So back in the early days of my driving career, there was a buffet in Indianapolis, Indiana called The Journey. It's right oh. off of I-69. And me and my uh, – I was driving team at the time, and my co-driver and I, when we, when we walked in, that place, like, winced. 
<laughs> yeah, we uh, we definitely got our money's worth that day. Um, jeez, I I couldn't put a number on it, but the the plates at this place yeah. were massive. Just probably at that about, buffet, probably four plates had to be that buffet. Yeah. For me, yeah. it's like it's like New York pizza. I've eaten a few like large New York pizzas. Like when you get like a large New York pizza and some beer, that that's got to yeah. be. Nowhere near sixteen thousand calories, like eighteen thousand calories. Maybe, maybe I, it's maybe hard to get to five thousand. Well, the liquid calories from the beer that that really adds up the numbers too. So don't don't sell yourself short. Don't sell yourself short. Well, let's see. We put out a poll. YRC has been a big topic. Strikes have been a big topic. Uh, student loans have been a big topic on bailouts. So we mm-hmm. put a poll out. Who should be bailed out? Student loans, yellow, Boston market, or CDL school debt, yellow was number four they only got 11 percent boston market too big to fail people need that cornbread 26 percent student loans 29 percent pretty big number with with our audience and uh but cdl school debt man 34 percent people think that you know you're probably spending that you might have taken out a loan for that four thousand or five thousand dollars who knows what apr you're paying we just want to erase it off the board i've seen school debt for cdl schools as high as like thirteen thousand now Wow. Yeah, those numbers only keep going up. <laughs> it's definitely, it would definitely be the most cost-effective one on here, would it not? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say uh, CDL, CDL school debt holders haul more freight than uh, your average college student, probably. And there's probably just not that much of it compared to like these other things here. Yeah. These other companies. <laughs> these other things. Although Boston Market, I, don't, I got some people scared. I don't know if they're in trouble. I just put them on there as like a protest vote in case you didn't want to pick it. I didn't know I didn't know they were struggling that bad. I, they were all over the place in South Florida when I lived there back in the day. Um really good mac and cheese. Yeah, it's decent enough. I mean, the south it might not seem as good anymore, but like for a northeasterner with yeah. not much of a palate, I can see that being it. But I, I now that you mentioned, I can't remember the last time I went to a Boston market. So, yeah, maybe it's no surprise that they're hurting. Could be. <laughs> I don't see them around either. We got <laughs> we got Chick-fil-A here instead of them. I'm usually at. Well, here's like, okay, it's summertime. We see these menaces on the road. A lot of drivers in in our community have complained about seeing these RVs out here. You don't need a license. Show this vehicle. You don't, this thing right here, he's talking about hot shots. Look at this hot shot. He's got a gigantic RV. He's also got a boat attached to it. He's definitely running longer than 53. And you don't even need a special license to pull this crap in most states, I don't think. It is wild. Yeah, as long as there's no air brake on there, you know, you don't need any kind of special endorsements. They're not heavy. So you're not you're not overgrossing um, twenty six thousand pounds, but yeah, he's definitely way over length. At least, I mean, if if you got toys like that, you hope that you kind of know what you're doing. But even where I'm at, you know, just like a month or two ago, we had an RV stuck in a uh, parking lot at our local grocery store, and I had to help him, you know, back back it out of the parking lot because he got stuck. There's like this poor person stigma on trailers. Now, a week ago when we were going to look at our minivan, my kids really wanted to go look at an RV beforehand. So we stopped by one of those RV depots. And Justin, I'll tell you, it's like $400,000 plus for a brand new RV. You go into the used market, you're still talking um, $200,000 for something decent, $150,000 for one with like cigarette stains inside of it. I have to imagine like the average age of a buyer of these things kind of keeps up with um, the average age of like a Harley Davidson buyer. It's just, they're just rich people toys at this point. A lot of old boomers with uh, cashing out the retirement funds to go see the country with them. What is the truck driver perception of these? Were you a fan of the, I know me is just like a four wheel driver. There's a few types of vehicles I avoid on the road. I avoid these. I avoid U-Haul trucks. I avoid Penske trucks. I avoid um, final destination two looking um, flatbed or loggers that have things that look dangerous. Yeah. And I avoid pickup trucks that have like lawn equipment that looks like it could easily just go anywhere. Yeah, in the snow, avoid uh, pickup trucks that are two-wheel drive, yeah. three-wheel drive, because they'll slide it into you. But with the RVs, 
as long as they're not hogging up all the truck spots, you know, they, they, they kind of know most, I would say 99, maybe 90%, like, you know, behave themselves. But every once in a while, you have like one jerk at a rest stop, you know, blocking up a, a truck spot. Um, but yeah, when you're on the road with them, you just, you never know who's behind the wheel uh, of those things. So just give them space. Should they, should they need a license? Do you think that you should have to have a, a commercial license to pull something that large? They should at least have like a dummy one that you can drive around in the parking lot before you buy one. And then, you know, see how well you can maneuver it before they, before the bank agrees to like, you know, sign the papers on giving you the money for one for sure. Oh yeah. Like an insurance adjuster there doing your like driving test yeah. just to make sure. Yeah. yeah. Cause I mean, I was surprised the driving community didn't hate them as much as I thought they would. Although I would have, what if they steal your parking spot? What if they park in a commercial oh, yeah, spot? Yeah. So you, you should have had like an image of one in a, in a truck parking spot. Then you would have skewed the That would have sure. gotten the ire. Yeah. That would have yeah. triggered some people. Because like they said here, like, uh, Tricky Mick, he said they're not as bad as dually drivers. Jeff Wynn said, I like them okay. I like them better when they're not moving, though. But, yeah, they're okay. Richard says they should be required to get a RV operator's license. Too many of them mm. um, have worked their whole lives never pulling anything in that large. Then they go and buy an RV. It's crazy. Bill says better than box truck drivers. Wayne says in Texas, for some combinations, an RV CDL is actually required. Well, maybe that's smart on Texas. Um, he said if he was a trooper, he would check you from compliance. Uh, Robbie Lang says, I think any vehicle pulling trailers should be stopped at the scales. I get stopped at the scales. Stop him. Mm. Um, anybody else say anything interesting here? L- Lawler, lawyer dizzies with me. They just avoid these trucks completely. Um, one guy here said, I had to drive a U-Haul last week. Truck driver said he had to drive a U-Haul last week, and he got really self-conscious because he said he bet all the other drivers were calling him a dumbass like he does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I love talking to friends who, like, rent a big truck for the first time, and they're just like, yeah, I, like, I had no idea. You know, there was so much behind you and above you. That's, that's the other thing that people forget about It's the height. You know, yeah. if you're going through a low clearance somewhere, you know, it's a good way to get scalped. Stuck in Storo Drive. Well, you know, this guy has, like, mm-hmm. this is actually a healthy, non-toxic human. He said, no hate here. In fact, he's probably going to have more fun than I am this week. All right. All right. I can't even <laughs> hate on that. I can't hate on this, though. Look at what new trucker Mike put up here. And this is, this is a big problem in the industry. ELDs were supposed to fix it. It's not going to fix bad actors who expect things like this. He said, I work for a mega carrier. A manager's asked me to straight up falsify my log. Actually wanted me to go back eight days and edit as much on-duty time as possible to off-duty. The conversation was recorded. Should I report it, move on, or run for the exit? What's your advice here? Yeah, run for the exit. Um, plenty of carriers out there to choose from, uh, especially if you've got a clean record. Anytime a carrier tries to get you to do anything sketchy, tell them, okay, send it over to Qualcomm. And that usually shuts it down right then and there. Oh, they just don't want a record of it at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that's stupid. Is it how if you fr- do it, if, if they ask you to do something and then you do it and then, like, something, God forbid, something goes wrong, you're the one on the hook for it. So if you really want to, like, insure yourself against uh, getting, you know, uh, orders that you wouldn't want to do, say, okay, cool, hand that, send that to me with the Qualcomm. And that usually shuts down 99% of the uh, stuff like that. And gives you a little CYA too. So definitely tell them to send yeah. that over the comm. Yep. What about this? Speaking of in-truck technology, like a Qualcomm, why not an in-truck sensor? Look at this thing right here. The, the, the person on the road is trying to, I don't, and his hand signals might be a little questionable, but he's trying to tell him that his back is up. For some reason, we see these all the time. The driver has no clue. I don't know why he hasn't looked in his mirrors. I don't know why there isn't, like, I don't have my seatbelt on. My car goes bam, 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 yeah. nonstop. Like, why isn't this in a truck? Well, because it's, it's on the trailer, and we already have something 
useful for that is called the rear view mirror. And clearly this guy wasn't checking it. So even if there was a sensor, they probably would have found a way to either ignore it or bypass it. What if it electrocuted? Like, remember that guy who was going to make those bracelets? What if it gave him a shock? <laughs> Maybe he'd build a tolerance for it. I don't know. Yeah, something like that. You know, every seven seconds, you got to be checking your mirrors. It's like CDL school uh, first day information. And this guy was clearly not. He should never have been driving a commercial vehicle as far as I'm concerned. He, he, he had the stupid driver. I think he thinks he's telling him to, like, pull the horn or something. <laughs> he's just getting, yeah, like. <laughs> you would think turning your head to see the guy, like, waving at you you would at least in your peripheral vision see what's going on but yeah. no this, this guy was just completely not paying attention he just had complete blinders on all right and this now, isn't we and we and you're right we see this all the time now you used to drive for the postal service now the washington police say take a look at these stolen packages here when what would they tell you to do when your truck got into an accident because here they say they're looking for people who try to grab packages out of this truck i don't know if they're going <laughs> to recover them <laughs> No, nah, those packages are gone. Um, yeah, you call your supervisor, and then your supervisor has like the list of phone numbers to actually call. Um, they usually send a, a crew out there to try and scoop up as much as they can. Um, I'm trying to, I'm blanking on the actual um, organization that comes out, but yeah, it's, it's uh, the post. The postal inspectors come out, and uh, you know they'll take an instant report and try and um, clean up as much as they can. Huh. Interesting. Speaking of deliveries, maybe they won't even need drivers this week. In Las Vegas, there's a brand new company doing driverless, and I'm doing air quotes here because it actually requires a driver, and it requires a spotter, so it actually requires two drivers to do these deliveries. But let's take a look at their video here and see what this thing's all about. It all started four years ago when see, what if now, question came. When I first watched this what video, too, I was, Justin, to I wasn't thinking. It's going to be a great day I was today thinking about packages, Las Vegas. and I'm like, this is definitely incredibly stupid for packages, but... Car. About a month you ago or two months ago, we rented a minivan for a road trip, and it was kind of annoying having to drive to the, the airport to get the minivan now, and then like have to drive back. So this might be a good use case for that. Coming around the corner. There it is. You can see the car right now. This is an incredible What's going on here is there's no one in the car, and then there's this someone just like how like drone operators are. He's in like a video game steering wheel, and he's driving this car with cameras to the to the person. But I don't think they're using LiDAR or anything. It's using a 5G network. It's using a cell phone network. Nobody's done this yet. We're the first ones to do it. It's, man, yeah. It's so important. I kind of see this as like the wave of the future. Like if they ever get so enough like 5G communication across the planet, the whole you can have instead of like an office full of brokers, you'll just have an office full of like remote pilot operators for these vehicles. Is this getting delivered you can to stop the tape. We, we get the idea here, but you, are you a fan? You think this is you think this is going to take off? Because on first glance, a lot of people were making fun of it. It's like it seems dumber than autonomous vehicles. But like I said, there's there's at least one use case I can kind of think of at least. Rental cars. Yeah. Um, I was seeing this in uh, fast food for a little bit uh, a while ago. There was like, you know, you pull up to a McDonald's squawk box. Instead of talking to somebody in the restaurant, it would be going to like a call center. Yeah, um, I don't know if that ever got off the ground, but this is this is something similar. Hey, it's not my money. Let them uh, burn that VC cash if they want. Um, how about a, good luck? How about if, how about if it flew? How about this flying car right here? Roll this tape. Look at this thing. And it's I don't know if it's really a tape. It's more like a render, right? They haven't even uh, managed to make one of these yet. Yeah, this is the best kind of pitch. It doesn't even exist yet. How like how <laughs> is this going to work? First of all, how are you going to? It says it's electric. It says it can. It's three hundred thousand dollars. I love how it's 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 taking off from like some guy's house. Yeah. But there's no audio in their video. Even like a mid-sized drone is enough to like annoy your neighbors. Something like this is just gonna you know piss off your entire block. 
This guy, he's just flying over overpasses. <laughs> I don't know. God bless this guy. God bless this guy. Super Trucker, convince me really quick. You have five seconds. Convince me why cab overs are inferior to conventional trucks. Right. It sucks. But the look is great. That's what everyone's yelling here. The aesthetic. How Don't aesthetics yeah. matter? Got to get some sleep. Got to get some sleep. All right. Find Super Trucker on the Twitter at Super Trucker. Find us. At FW What the Truck on that, find me at Timothy Zuna, S D O O N E R. Scout the show wherever you get podcasts. Take care and don't be a stranger.